This is the show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Well, October is Respect Life Month. The USCCB, United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, has given us this month as Catholics to focus on what it means for us as Catholics to uphold the dignity of the human person. What does it mean for us to respect life as Catholics? What's our obligation to one another? Um, And certainly when we talk about Respect Life Month, there are some things that immediately spring to mind. The the big ones that were mentioned by Pope John Paul II in Evangelium Vitae, right? We've got um, direct abortion, there's euthanasia, there's direct murder. There are certain things that when we say respect life, we just automatically assume that that's the scope of what we're talking about. But the church gives us a much broader target as we look at the dignity of the human person and all of the implications that stream therefrom, right? So this show is all about exploring the foundations and the implications of our belief on our daily life. There's nothing really more fundamental uh, to the way we live our daily life than this topic of the dignity of the human person and, and where that comes from, from God creating us in his image and likeness and therefore giving us incomparable dignity. So we're going to talk about this today. We're going to continue this conversation. Uh, we talked about it last week. We're going to talk about it this week. We're going to talk about it next week and possibly even the week after that because we got a late start on Respect Life Month. Now, this is a topic about which I have a lot to say. And anytime there's a topic about which I have a lot to say, I invite my my darling and beloved wife to join me on the show because <laughs> Because she is an, an, an introvert and an internal processor, and she just gives me just enough feedback for me to for me to keep going in the conversation. Kristen, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome, my love. I'm glad to be here and to give you enough feedback to bounce off of. She says she's <laughs> glad to be here, but if you could see the look on her face, no, no, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm smiling. <laughs> no, I do. I I enjoy coming on the show, and I. I do feel, at least with this topic, I have, I feel like I have some things to offer and to say, which makes this a little bit easier than some (laughs) of the other times you ask me to come on the show. We've talked about this with you before. There's a couple of things you have to know when I bring my wife on the show. Number one is that I become a different host. (laughs) (laughs) There's a familiarity there. (laughs) There's there's a familiarity and a joviality and just a general... um, I still get, you know, a little giddy when I'm around you. So, you know, (laughs) Uh, that's, that's thing number one. Um, the, The second thing is that most of the time when I bring her on, I don't give her a whole lot of warning. This is true, which is, which is why sometimes as an introvert, at least I think it's an introverted thing. Maybe it's just a me thing. I don't know. But when I am going to give a talk, I have to prepare. Like I have to get my points written down or I'm going to forget what I have to say. Um, I don't speak off the cuff like you do. So when I don't have a lot of time, (laughs) this is why I don't have a lot to say. (laughs) So um, when we first became Catholic back in 2011, uh, shortly after that, uh, after we, I I was working in the Protestant church for a number of years before we became Catholic, all of a sudden we left that, we left that uh, career, that income, 
And by the grace of God and the grace of Bishop Edward Slattery in the Diocese of Tulsa, uh, I took on the role at the Diocese of the Director of Marriage and Family Life and Respect Life. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I have to tell you, I had almost no experience with any of those things. Uh, (laughs) I mean... You had some. I had some. I had I had <laughs> ideas, and what I mean to say by that is, the the ideas that I had about those topics from my evangelical upbringing, mm-hmm. and then coming into the Catholic Church, not only in that initial conversion of becoming Catholic and saying, "Okay, this is right, we're going to become Catholic," but then in the in the ensuing years of the Church continuing to really draw our attention to these really important issues uh, and and then calling us to this life of holiness and of conversion toward even a deeper understanding and a deeper ideal than what we had ever understood mm-hmm. beforehand. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I kind of joke that I had no experience because we had been married for a while, we definitely had some very definite ideas, and and I feel mm-hmm. like it was, it was really a wonderful time for us there in Tulsa. It was, um, but but we were right at the beginning of our conversion oh. process, and so I mean, it, I mean, it wasn't like like you said, we became Catholic, but I mean, you I, know, and converts continue to convert. I think all of us do, but as we, we should. learn, we, we should. should. <laughs> um, but we learn a lot, and you know, we went from. Uh, digging as deep as we could in a sandbox, which I got that from someone else. I totally stole it. Um, to all of a sudden being in this ocean of everything. Yeah. And there was so much and is still so much to learn. And to so much, yes, so much depth that you can pursue in the Catholic church. So for those of you who are out there, who um, you went through one of our early pre canas like 2012, 2013, um, I pray for you all the time that the graces of God would overcome our own insufficiencies in those mm-hmm. early days. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. tried. We and we had a lot to say, yeah. uh, but we were still kind of working. We were still learning. Working out our we salvation were, with fear were, and trembling. Yes. Right? you were going to say that. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's that's where I was going. So, but on this issue and on of respect life, this is an issue that. I am still growing in. I'm still learning some richness that the church offers us. But first and foremost, oftentimes when we talk about respect life, we talk about it in light of those big three uh, that come from Evangelium Vitae. We talk about abortion. We talk about euthanasia. We talk about um, bioethics. And those are really good and important topics to talk about. Absolutely. We ought to be focusing on that. We ought to be going out and praying in prayer vigils at 40 Days for Life. We ought to be going the rest of the year when there's not one of those vigils and maybe praying once a week out there or going and donating time or resources at a pregnancy resource center. Uh, We ought to be invested and involved in those issues, but we can't start there. Our respect for human life, our 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 fervor around the topic of abortion and euthanasia and bioethics has to come from somewhere. It can't just be a position that we hold and we draw our line in the sand and we put our flag in the ground. Um, Because it's very easy, if that's our starting point, 
to have a twisted view of the dignity of the human person and to apply that dignity to um, to the unborn or to the elderly uh, in the case of euthanasia, but not to everyone else in the scenario. So we start when we talk about the dignity of the human person. We start with the fact that you and I were created by God in his image and likeness. And his image and likeness meaning that we have uh, an intellect and a will. We can know things and we can choose things, right? In that way, we are made in his image and his likeness. And because we are made in his image and likeness, we have incomparable dignity. And there's nothing that we, you or I could do to efface that dignity. It is always present despite sometimes our best efforts. And so as the church calls us in to recognize the dignity of the human person, then we are compelled by that that truth to care for the dignity of every human person. And this isn't in any way to diminish the importance of these, these very important issues of abortion, of euthanasia, of bioethics, but it is to say that all of these, as grave as they are because of their numbers, all of these flow from the same stream of human dignity as some other very important issues that we're going to get to here in a little bit. Uh, but today I wanted to talk about maybe just kind of our your, your own journey, my own journey, um, into this new understanding of human dignity and, and look at the question of solidarity as a subset, as a component of respect life. Mm. Okay. Well, and, you know, I mean, we say nearly every week at Mass, in most Masses, I think, there is that often that prayer intention from conception to natural death. Mm-hmm. And again, those, those two that are called out are those two of the big three from conception to natural death. But it's a two, not an and. and right. And all that flows in between there is everything. I mean, talk about having the depth of, of topic here. <laughs> um, it's life. It's life. All life. All of it. Full stop. Yeah. And there's so much there. And yes, we we have been on a bit of a journey being able to recognize maybe different aspects of what this can mean. So one of the things I think of is the the parable of the um of the good Samaritan. Mm-hmm. And here you have this this person who is uh, beaten and robbed and left for dead along the road to Jericho. And those who are uh, respected leaders, they come by and they see him on the side of the road and they walk to the other side and they pass by. And there's a reason for that. It's because the law uh, and of the Old Testament says that if you were, if, if that person were to die, well, he, he looked like he was near death. If you were to die while you were transporting him, then you would be considered unclean and you couldn't go into the temple. And here we have a priest and a Levite whose job is in the temple, mm-hmm. right? So there, there is a sense of trying to maintain propriety. Right, they um, had reasons. They the, weren't just being selfish. Right. They, they had well thought out reasons. And so here you have these, these two that are supposed to be um, 
members of the same group uh, and they walk by the other side. And then it's the person who is the outcast who sees him, not just the outcast, but like there's a mutual animosity there. (laughs) And he sees the person, he sees him lying by the side of the road and wounded. And he has the sense of the human dignity and he sees not his enemy or not his opponent, but he sees a human being made in the image of God in need of something. Mm-hmm. Of so- whatever that need happens to be, picture that you see another human being, specifically another human being in need of something. And the love of Christ then compels us. And we move forward to meet that need just as Christ meets our need, right? And so there is this, um, maybe this need for the Holy Spirit to give us an awareness and eyes to see the places that those around us have need in, in, the, in the area of a lack of dignity being shown to them. Mm-hmm. When I think about um, the, being able to see the dignity of your opponent or your perceived opponent, um, I know when I was up at the, um, at the UN a couple of years ago and um, I was at this event and I, I had an opportunity to speak with the woman who is the head of the Commission on the Status of Women at the time. And I'm um, just going to drop that without any context beforehand. Sorry, we've talked about it on here before. Okay, so I, <laughs> I am a representative of Women International, which is a non-governmental organization, an NGO, and we go to the UN and we talk to people about the Billings Ovulation Method um, there, specifically at the Commission on the Status of Women. Sorry. Thank you. Context. Con- context. <laughs> so, uh, so going to the United Nations to a women's rights event yeah. as a pro-life person talking about natural family planning (laughs) uh i i didn't know (laughs) exactly what to expect and and what kind of opponents i might meet because when you talk to people about women's rights obviously abortion comes up Mm -hmm. um but i had the opportunity to talk to this woman who's like the head of everything at at the time and um and (laughs) I got her attention and I told her who I was and who I represented. And she was like, oh, yeah, because they gave us <laughs> they gave us two events that year, which was very unusual. Um, and I thanked her for that. I said, you know, thank you so much for giving us those two events. It was a really great opportunity. We really appreciate it. <laughs> and then I started telling her a little bit my, my spiel, you know, kind of about what we do, which is a little bit. Um, yeah, I don't go up to people and say I represent NFP because they will rock away from you. Um, even even at Catholic events. Even at Catholic events. Nobody wants to <laughs> talk about NFP. Um, but I got her attention talking about some of the benefits of how we can empower women with this information. And she ended up standing there and talking to me for a good like 10 to 15 minutes. And she's yeah. like a busy person. And um, and not only she she also opened up to me yeah. about how she had tried this and that contraceptive method and it had abortions and all this stuff. And maybe I need to look at your website again. Yeah. Now, who knows what happened there? Right. No idea. But in that moment, two people who couldn't be more ideologically opposed to one another had a commonality moment. Mm-hmm. And she didn't necessarily need anything from me at that moment, I don't think. No, the- not that she would have perceived. Not that she would have perceived. Um, but we saw each other's humanity in that moment and had a spark of 
you're okay. <laughs> you know, and, and sometimes that's where you have to start. Well, and I want to talk about something else now that we're at the UN. Okay. <laughs> um, one of the things that I think we are very prone to do as humans is to look at a situation or catch the context of a situation and make up our minds about it very quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, so whether it be those buzzwords that we hear, um, you know, reproductive rights or women's health or mm -hmm. any of those things that, that to at least from our evangelical days. And, and I know that there are some who are not evangelical, some that are Catholic that, that hear those words. And it's like, Ooh, what is embedded in those words? Right. We can't just talk about women's health because mm. that means abortion. But, it's like, oh, but it doesn't. <laughs> well, and, and what I found really interesting, because, you know, I was of the opinion, probably the, of that same opinion. That, mm -hmm. Well, yeah, you're going to go to I the I mean, UN. a lot of the time it does. So. But the people that you're talking to there, some of them, yes, are like mm -hmm. the person you mentioned. But then there's a whole other group of NGOs that are also there. Mm -hmm. And you had some lovely conversations with some groups out of, of Africa. Oh, they were wonderful. <laughs> and, they're, and they're using these terms in a very different way in ways that they really do need to be able to address these terms. Right. And I mean, that really comes from recognizing the universality of the church and realizing that the, um, the things that we mean in America by certain terms are not the same kinds of issues that they're dealing with in other countries. Mm -hmm. And recognizing that when groups from Africa are talking about women's health, they're talking about like basic stuff that women need um, or, or ways that women should be treated um, that the, we don't think about here right. at all. Um, so seeing the, the humanity outside of our own perspectives. And I mean, it takes time and it takes humility to listen, to really listen to the other person, because no matter how much you may disagree on the how to's to help someone, um, you, you have things in common. Yeah. You can find those things that are, that you do agree on. And if you can start there, if you can humble ourselves enough just to listen and to find those nuggets of we agree on this, then all of a sudden you can see that maybe even though they have a solution that is not the same solution as you would pick, they want to help. Well, and, and so I'm thinking back to the Gospels as Jesus encounters various groups of people. Uh, he might ask them, you know, he comes up to someone who's sitting by uh, uh, the pool of Salome and lame. And, and this is a place where people go to be healed. And he looks at the guy and says, do you want to be made well? It's like, it should be pretty obvious. <laughs> and yet he's, he's seeing beyond the obvious mm -hmm. and asking a question that that's really true. Right. Um, and I think that, that, we who are the disciples of Jesus have to, as we're looking at this concept of what it means for us to respect the dignity of the human person, we have to look beyond what we believe is obvious. Oh, well, that term is just means this. Or, oh, well, that person uh, is irredeemable, we might think. Mm -hmm. 
and to look beyond the obvious and then to ask the questions and engage in those conversations. As you mentioned, the the desire of that person is not to be a wicked person. I just right. want to tear like everyone's life apart. Most people don't want to just run around ruining everything. Right. They, they really don't. And so uh, part of that question is, okay, let's look beyond the obvious. Uh, Jesus did this with the, the Samaritan woman at the well, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, he asked her for a drink. And then he said, if you knew who, who was asking you, you would ask him for a drink, right? Oh, you don't have any bucket. I'm going to just get you to a place where you have to shed all of your preconceptions. I have a drink that will cause you to never thirst again. Oh, give me this drink. Give it to me now and always, right? Uh, drawing out what the real desire and the need of that person is so that then we can speak life into it. Mm-hmm. And so respect life also goes to respecting the dignity in that person who we disagree with so much mm-hmm. and realizing that in order to respect the person, we don't have to respect their ideas even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't have to agree with someone to be able to respect their dignity or to recognize their dignity. It can be harder <laughs> <laughs> than... Um, but I mean, if we only well, if we only love those who think the way that we do, well, then we don't do anything differently than anybody else, do we? That's almost like I heard Jesus say something. Almost, like that. <laughs> I know. I, sure. I watched it a little bit, but but basically, <laughs> yes. So, I think for me, the prayer as we look at this, I this concept that the church is asking us to focus on the respect of the dignity of the human person of every human person. Uh, I get this this picture of what does it take for me to be Christ to the other person? And we can come up with all kinds of ideas of what that might look like, whether that be um, healing the sick, binding up the wounds, uh, you know, all the, all the works of mercy, instructing the ignorant, right? All of these <laughs> things are are ways that we can be Christ to another person. But then there's another challenge as well. Not only to be Christ to the other person, but to see Christ in the other person. Oh, that's so <laughs> that much harder. That can be harder because you know, when you're being Christ to someone else, it's like, oh, look at me. I'm being all holy like Christ was. But to see Christ in that person. Well, and I think it's specifically difficult because we can recognize in... Um, in charity, we can recognize the face of Christ, I think, more easily than we can recognize the face of Christ in people who we think are doing unholy things. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, that glow of holiness and the luster of of righteousness just kind of fades away and you have to search. Kind of, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie uh, Hook, right, with, with Robin <laughs> Williams. Uh, and so basically Robin Williams is Peter Pan uh, and he goes back to Neverland as an adult and everyone doesn't believe that he is who he, who he is. Because <clears throat> There's he's this, forgotten. Because he's forgotten. He can't fly anymore. He can't fly anymore. <laughs> it's so sad. <laughs> but there's this scene where one of the little lost boys comes up to him and kind of messes with his face and squishes it around and mm-hmm. says, oh, there you are, Peter. And I feel like 
there has to be some childlike part of our spirit enlivened by the Holy Spirit that without laying hands on the other person, because that's probably not a good idea. <laughs> probably not. That we can kind of squish around the, the what we see until we find the face of Christ in that person and then minister to Christ as Christ, right? To, to meet the needs of that person through what God has given us as Catholics. It requires us, I think, first and foremost, to allow the Holy Spirit to be in charge. Mm-hmm. Oh, and but I mean, we live in such a culture that is so calloused. Like, to be genuine and to be humble enough to be able to even have the vulnerability to be able to try and find that other person and and to not be laughed off. I mean, I guess we we could be anyway and well then <laughs> points for us for <laughs> I don't know, being persecuted or something. <laughs> but, but no, but I mean it's so hard because everything is coated with this dragon scales of a persona. Yeah. Um but to live as Christ wants us to, we can't have that and it's protective as well as combative mm-hmm. and you just yeah um, <laughs> i don't know exactly how to tell anyone to let that down but mm-hmm. it takes immense trust yeah. um in god that he will take care of you uh when you give it a try <laughs> well and and here's the thing if you do that if you come up into a situation and you struggle and you strive and you finally find a place to be able to see the, f- the face of Jesus in the face of this person who is so very different from you and whose dignity it's really hard to see other than just enlightened by the Holy Spirit, I guarantee you that that person, at least one of those people, is going to lash out and, mm-hmm. and harm you. And to still be able to take up that cross and bear it willingly and to be yes, wise did. to be wise uh but to continue to give yourself that that self gift that we have been empowered to do by our baptism by our confirmation um to be Christ and to offer ourselves up for the dignity of that other person oh. <laughs> and it for those that may lash out, there are also going to be those that are taken so off guard by a genuine care of another person mm-hmm. that maybe, just maybe, you'll be able to break through their callousness as well, um, even if just for a moment, and yeah. see that humanity of each other. We're talking today about Respect Life Month, about the dignity of the human person made in the image of God. I'm having a conversation with my wife because she lets me talk a lot. (laughs) Uh, We're going to come right back and we're going to continue this conversation, also diving into our readings from Scripture and from church history, which both tie really well into this conversation. Join the ongoing conversation. Tell me what you think over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL, and we are talking about Respect Life Month. It's the month of October that the USCCB, the bishops of the United States, have encouraged us all to focus on the dignity of the human person. Now, of course, during this time, we talk about uh, abortion, we talk about euthanasia, we talk about medical ethics, but all of those things flow out of something. We don't just start there and say, oh, well, these are our tentpole issues. We're going to stick the, the flag in the ground and, uh, and hold the line. We start further back and we say each and every person is made in the image of God and his image and likeness and therefore, as a result, bears incomparable dignity. And so that has implications on the way that we respond to that life. Now, of course, the issues of abortion and euthanasia are very grave matters, right? They are, uh, they are matters worthy of our attention and our advocacy, uh, but they do not diminish the, um, the dignity of other human persons and our responsibility to advocate for their dignity as well. Now, oftentimes, um, these other issues, the, the, the issues of, uh, Dignity and other areas that we'll get to as we read Gaudium et Spes here in a bit. Um, these other issues are sometimes pitted against the issues of abortion, as if by somehow by talking about uh, the death penalty or talking about the rights of dignified labor and the rights of uh, of freedom of religion and whatever else these things would be, um, according to the Church, the document that we're going to read here from the Vatican uh, Vatican II Gaudium et Spes. Um, some people think that by talking about those at all, we're trying to draw attention away from abortion or away from euthanasia. But it really couldn't be further from the truth because as we talk about the dignity of the human person and the fact that it is inviolable, then all of these issues become kind of like a, a solid front. Um, the picture that t- comes to my mind right now is the picture of the Roman garrison, right? And they have the shields and those shields link together. And when those shields were linked together and they pressed forward as a whole group, they were almost unstoppable, right? Um, they, they had a, shields above and shields in front and shields to the side so that no uh, weapon could break it into that group. And I think that as we talk about the dignity of the human person writ large as as the whole implications that flow from the dignity of the human person, the same thing will be true. As the dignity is highlighted across the board, it becomes a much more powerful force, far from taking anything away from these very important issues on the front. I think that they protect them even more all the way around. So... We've been talking about the difficulty sometimes of, of recognizing that dignity. It's very easy, I think, for us all to, to conceptualize the dignity of the unborn. Mm-hmm. There's an innocence. There is a, a, a sublime beauty there. And I think it's easy for us to, to conceptualize and to understand the dignity of the human person in their final days, and to stand for their dignity uh, and to stand and advocate for their life and against euthanasia. I think that it's harder 
to advocate for the dignity of the person who we see taking away the dignity of another. Mm. So in questions of the death penalty, we see, um, well, this person has done something heinous, therefore X, Y, Z. Or in the case of of war or in the case of um, just an immoral person, it's harder, I think, for us to say, oh, I see the dignity of Christ in them. I see that the image of God in them. And yet that's what we're called to. Mm-hmm. Well, and really, it, you know, these in-betweens, it's, it's easy to, like you talked about, kind of romanticize the beginning, the end. But all of the in-between is that daily trudge mm-hmm. of life and living and decisions and and sometimes how, poor decisions and sometimes poor decisions um and and how does christ come and interact with us as we make poor decisions <laughs> and as as we trudge through as well um but being able to realize that a person doesn't have the power to change the dignity that God gave them. Right. We don't have that much power. We might think we do. We don't. <laughs> and that that is solid and constant, regardless of what horrible choices may have been made. So let's go and look at the story again of the woman at the well. Uh, here, Jesus approaches her, and he knows what he's doing from the beginning. You know, he is God. So he's, he's <laughs> got helps. that. He's got, that helps. <laughs> that helps. We have to spend a little bit more time in prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to give us discernment. Essential. Right. <laughs> so we're essential. we're not God and we should remember that. <laughs> well, but beyond, beyond not being God and, and realizing that, I think that it's really important for us to realize that our own gut reaction is not as divinely inspired as we <laughs> like to right. think it is. That we yes. need our our connection to the Holy Spirit to give us the wisdom that maybe we've got a good hunch, but it's not it's not divinely inspired unless we are connected to the Holy Spirit and praying and constantly listening to what he has to say to us in those moments. Mm-hmm. So he says to the woman uh, there at the well in Samaria, she said, this is, this is amazing stuff. I want to know more about this. And he says, go, go bring me your husband. And she says, I have no husband. And I used to read this with a little bit of snark, but now I don't. Now I read it with a compassion because only a sense of compassion is going to draw a person in like Christ draws her into the story. He's like, you're right. You, you, you speak truly when you say you have no husband because you've had five and the person that you're with now is not your husband. This is the the picture as a young evangelical child. It's like, oh, that's a really bad situation. Whew. <laughs> I mean, it's five and, and, and living in sin, right? Uh, and yet Christ does this in such a way that he draws in. He highlights her dignity, which she had, I guess, given up for lost. Um, and draws her into this conversation to where she becomes quite the evangelist. I mean, the whole town comes to believe on her word who Christ is. And this is and a, someone who was 
not respected no. more than likely based on <laughs> the situation that we were privy to now. Yeah. And so to be able to, to have the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to be able to look past all of the things that we've set up. Oh, this is a bad situation. Oh, I know everything I need to know about this person because look at X, Y, Z. And to say, I can write them off because (laughs) (laughs) sorry. (laughs) And to say, you know, it, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. Christ wants to intervene in this life. And he, he's not going to wait for this person to get it put together before he intervenes. He's going to bring her to a place of life and that, of life abundantly. And that's what he calls us to do with those around us. That's what the whole idea of respect life is, is to say, I'm going to recognize the dignity in, in those whose dignity is not immediately obvious. And I'm going to elevate that dignity. I'm going to advocate for that dignity. I'm going to stand in, in the place of Christ and extend his mercy and his grace and his invitation to that person until they can see their own dignity. They might not be able to see it right now. That woman could not see her own dignity at the moment she was out at the well in the middle of the day so as to avoid everyone. She couldn't see her own dignity, but he brought her to a place because he saw her dignity, brought her to a place where she then did. She could see her dignity and she went out and she brought others to Christ as well. This is what we're called to in this Respect Life Month. And so this is going to, prudentially, this is going to play out in different ways, right? You and I, we're going to advocate for an end to abortion. We're going to advocate for the dignity of, uh, of end-of-life care. We're going to advocate for those things, and we're not going to stop advocating for those things. But we're also going to advocate face-to-face, one-on-one, for the dignity of the person who doesn't think they have any dignity left Mm -hmm. and draw them into a place where they can recognize it. This is, I think, what Paul means when he says that we are ministers of reconciliation. We are reconciling the fallen world back to the Father. And we do that not through pointing fingers or setting up rules or reminding people of what they need to do, step one, two, three. Scripture says it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. It's the ability to recognize his image in them that lets them see that image maybe for the first time or maybe just the first time in a long time. So that's the challenge. That's my challenge to all of us is to pray that by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we would be shaken from our comfort and those places that we have kind of made ruts in the ground of our own opinions of people or of classes of people Mm -hmm. to shake ourselves free from those opinions so that he could show us the spark of dignity that lives in each of them, in the, in the person or the class that we just don't even look at anymore because they annoy us. <laughs> and to say, I'm going to look again and I'm going to find, because I've, I've been promised that it's there. The church says everybody is made in the image of God. So I'm going to go and I'm going to look in that place that I have just given up on. And I'm going to see if I can squish the face around 
until I can recognize that dignity. And, you know, we get so comfortable in our our bubble and our sphere. You know, we, we go to work, we go home, we live in our certain neighborhood, we are very familiar with those things. So something may have sprung to mind of like, oh, okay, maybe I can think about that person or, or maybe I can think about, you know, that group of people. Um, but I would challenge you as well that as you're going about to some of those things may come to mind later like as you encounter something that's a little unusual maybe in your bubble that you a a person that you haven't seen before or Mm a uh, a topic that comes across your Facebook feed or whatnot to to recognize those moments that maybe don't spring to mind right now but later will come up and be like oh yeah I've talked about this on the show (sighs) dozens of times um, there was that moment shortly, I mean, just really a couple of weeks after we became Catholic, uh, where there was an attack in Nigeria mm. and a church, a Catholic church in Nigeria was, uh, broken into and people were killed. Um, and those kinds of things came across my news feed. They came across the evening news every once in a while. And I never gave it a second thought. And in that moment, just as a brand new Catholic, God gave me the eyes to see the dignity of those persons who were connected to me and the communion of the saints by the virtue of their baptism that I had never considered before. And all of a sudden, just by the grace of God in that moment, I felt very deeply. And I began to pray for those people and for their families because these were my people. And all of a sudden, these people who live on the other side of the planet, now I saw their dignity in a, in a way that I had not previously been able to. Mm-hmm. And so as you're saying, you might have that person in mind. You might say, oh, now I've got to go look for the dignity of Bob, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it could be that that... That you need to, that the, the Holy Spirit wants to bring you to a revelation of the dignity of a human person that you've not yet even considered. Mm-hmm. That you might notice that person who's standing at the intersection that has a cardboard sign in a different way than maybe mm-hmm. you have before. We've been talking today with my beloved bride, Kristen Putnam, as we explore the dignity of the human person here in Respect Life Month. Kristen, thank you so much for talking with us today. You're welcome, my love. If you missed any part of my conversation with my beloved bride uh, about Respect Life Month and the dignity of the human person, maybe you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media. Have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And every week, there's a little bit extra, a little extra conversation that we record and provide as a gift in gratitude for all those who support the show through Patreon. Our Patreon support community is made up of those who love the show and want to see it continue. And we just, in gratitude, give them an extra segment each and every week. This week is a doozy of one, as my wife and I share a little bit of our own conversion story in in light of this topic. And in the process of our sharing that story, I actually learned something new about my wife. So I want to invite you to learn that as well uh, by going over to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link in the top right-hand corner. Now let's turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. 
That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read scripture in light of church teaching, putting the magisterium at your fingertips from the fathers and doctors of the church, connecting to the catechism, documents of the church, and so much more. Learn more at Verbum.com. Our reading from scripture today comes from the Gospel of Mark. We're going to hear this at Mass tomorrow, and so I'd like you to hear it now and then reflect on it so that when you get to Mass, you have maybe some preparations, some new eyes uh, to hear the words of Scripture. As Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a sizable crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind man, the son of Timaeus, sat by the roadside begging. On hearing that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he kept calling out all the more, Son of David, have pity on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, get up, Jesus is calling you. He threw aside his cloak, sprang up, and came to Jesus. Jesus said to him in reply, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man replied to him, Master, I want to see. Jesus told him, Go your way. Your faith has saved you. Immediately he received his sight and followed him on the way. That reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Anytime we have one of these narrative stories, it's always a really interesting practice to put ourselves into the story. We're going to be someone in the story. Um, and maybe depending on the day, we find ourselves in different characters. But what I, what I want us to do is draw ourselves away from imagining ourselves merely as a bystander. Find yourself in one of the characters that has a verb. So, are we the blind man calling out, recognizing in Jesus something that we need and asking for his favor? begging in general, but upon learning that it was Jesus, he recognized something was different and he called out as if everything depended on it. Or are we one of the large crowd following after Jesus who sees in this beggar by the side of the road, just someone who is distasteful, lacking dignity, uh, just a uh, a stumbling block in the way of what whatever God's will is, whatever the wherever Jesus wants to go, this person is in the way. And they rebuked him and they told him to be silent. And and even so, he called out all the more, Son of David, have pity. And and I can just imagine their frustration growing. But Jesus stops. Now, I want you to even put yourself, as you imagine the story, in the place of Jesus, because that's what he asks us to do. Moving forward, he asks us to be his hands and feet. He asks us to follow after him and to do the things that he did. So put yourself in that story. Are you the person who, upon hearing this cry for mercy, stops by the side of the road, beckons, and inquires? This, I think, is the place that we are called to, either to be the beggar or to be the inquirer. 
not to be those who at first shushed him and then somehow got on board when Jesus beckoned Bartimaeus. Let us pray that God would give us the wisdom, the, the insight, the, the discernment from the Holy Spirit to be able to recognize ourself in the place of the beggar and to recognize ourself in the place of Christ who sees and beckons and inquires of the beggar and ultimately brings healing. Our reading from church history today comes from Gaudium et Spes, which is the pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world from Vatican II. I'm going to read as much of this as I can, starting at paragraph 26, because it is just so essential to our conversation today. Because of the closer bonds of human interdependence and their spread over the whole world, we are today witnessing a widening of the role of the common good, which is the sum total of social conditions which allow people either as groups or as individuals to reach their fulfillment more fully and more easily. The whole human race is consequently involved with regard to the rights and obligations which result. Every group must take into account the needs and legitimate aspirations of every other group and still more of the human family as a whole. At the same time, however, there is a growing awareness of the sublime dignity of the human person who stands above all things and whose rights and duties are universal and inviolable. He ought, therefore, to have ready access to all that is necessary for living a genuinely human life. For example, food, clothing, housing, the right to freely choose his state of life and set up a family, the right to education, work, to his good name, to respect, to proper knowledge, the right to act accordingly to the dictates of conscience and safeguard his privacy and rightful freedom, even in matters of religion. The social order and its development must constantly yield to the good of the person, since the order of things must be subordinate to the order of persons, and not the other way around. As the Lord suggested when he said, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. The social order requires constant improvement. It must be founded in truth, built on justice, and enlivened by love. It should grow in freedom towards a more humane equilibrium. If these objectives are to be attained, there will first have to be a renewal of attitudes and far-reaching social changes. The Spirit of God, who with wondrous providence directs the course of time and renews the face of the earth, assists at this development. The ferment of the gospel has aroused and continues to arouse in the hearts of men an unquenchable thirst for human dignity. Wishing to come down to topics that are practical and of some urgency, the council lays stress on respect for the human person. Everyone should look upon his neighbor, without any exception, as another self, bearing in mind, above all, his life and the means necessary for living it in a dignified way, lest he follow the example of the rich man who ignored Lazarus, the poor man. Today there is an inescapable duty to make ourselves the neighbor of every man, no matter who he is, and if we meet him, to come to his aid in a positive way, 
whether he is an aged person abandoned by all, a foreign worker despised without reason, a refugee, an illegitimate child wrongly suffering for a sin he did not commit, or a starving human being who awakens our conscience by calling to mind the words of Christ, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. The varieties of crime are numerous, all offenses against life itself, such as murder, genocide, abortion, euthanasia, and willful suicide. All violations of the integrity of the human person, such as mutilation, physical and mental torture, undue psychological pressures, all offenses against human dignity, such as subhuman living conditions, arbitrary imprisonment, deportation, slavery, prostitution, the selling of women and children, degrading working conditions where men are treated as mere tools for profit rather than for free and responsible persons. All these and the like are criminal. They poison civilization and they debase the perpetrators more than the victims and militate against the honor of the Creator. Those also have a claim on our respect and charity who think and act differently from us in social, political, and religious matters. In fact, the more deeply we come to understand their ways of thinking through kindness and love, the more easily we will be able to enter into dialogue with them. Love and courtesy of this kind should not, of course, make us indifferent to the truth and goodness. Love, in fact, impels the followers of Christ to proclaim to all men the truth which saves. But we must distinguish between the error, which must always be rejected, and the person in error who never loses his dignity as a person, even though he flounders amid false or inadequate religious ideas. God alone is the judge and the searcher of hearts, and he forbids us to pass judgment on the inner guilt of others. That reading comes from Gaudium et Spes, The Pastoral Constitution on the Church in the Modern World from Vatican II. That's paragraphs 26 through, oh, about 28, 29. And it just keeps going. We just don't have time to keep going, but I want to invite you to come and read this, this, par- this section out of the, the, the Vatican II document, Gaudium et Spes. Oh, Man, I mean, gosh, we could just read this whole thing and just have that be the show. The church is calling us into this recognition of the respect for all human life, for the dignity of the human person by the virtue of the fact that they have been made in the image and likeness of God and bear his image. If we just repeated that over and over until it sunk into our souls, we would be better off. May God enlighten us by his Holy Spirit so that we may see him in our neighbor. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's show is brought to you by uh, by Aline Herman and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, and join their numbers. Until next week, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing affright you. All things are passing, but God is unchanging. Patience obtains all things. Who has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. <laughs>